0: I mean, imagine, I mean, everything happens there. Now, that's kind of a weird thought if you think about it. I mean, you have to go to the toilet at God's house. You have to, I mean, a whole week. Think about you wouldn't have if you spent a week at God's house. Think about the things you wouldn't be thinking or you wouldn't be watching or you wouldn't be contemplating or the revenge you wouldn't be plotting because you were at God's house. And that was a week. Now the week's done. And now we're kicking into Aaron actually getting on the business of being a priest. Now, consider this. As that is the case now, and Aaron is going to begin his priesthood practically, the promise was that God was going to show up at it. And it's interesting, it went from God's going to show up, and we'll see that, by the way, for what it's worth of you notice, in verse 4. It says, today the Lord will appear to you, and then just two verses later in verse 6, it says, The glory of the Lord will appear to you. And by the end, God and His glory appear. But I want to remind you, it isn't like God wasn't there. It's interesting. Here's a Greek word, I'm sorry, a Hebrew word for you. And the word is rachach. Can you say it? Rachach. is the word that we have here for appearing. Now, rachach means to, to manifest, to be seen. If you've ever seen those movies of those like superheroes or whatever or those people and they take sort of an invisibility spray or a pill or they fall in a vat of toxic waste or whatever and they become invisible and then someone throws flour on them or whatever and all of a sudden now, I mean, they were always there, you just now can see them. Or those spy movies where the person, where the gal takes her compact and flips it open and slides it on the floor and it sends out steam or whatever. And all of a sudden you see all the lasers that are there that are sort of booby traps. Oh, they were always there. You just couldn't see them. And the reason I say that is for God to appear here, it isn't like God was like in Idaho or in Amsterdam or visiting somewhere in Italy and getting himself a good pasta. This was God there, just not seen. Well, he actually was in one way. He was actually a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God was always visible in one one manner or another. It's just, you didn't talk to the cloud. So it was like, well, it's there as a reminder. I do like that. Because God still leaves those same things as reminders for us. And whether we feel him or think we could touch him or smell him or watch angel feathers or we sweat angel sweat or whatever it is we're looking for, God's there whether we feel him or not. And if you've been married for any period of time, you kind of know that. And the reason, I, <laughs> it's going to get Juan in trouble, the last too loud. I say, hey, look it. There are some times you just know when your spouse is in the house, whether they're near you or not. I've learned it doesn't matter where I'm at in the house, whatever conversation I have, my wife hears it. It doesn't matter what it is. And the moment I start speaking to our children and I I say the word yes, she knows what I've granted permission to. She's like, wait a minute, before you grant yes, I'm like, it's too late, I already said yes. And the kids know it, that's why they come to me. You just know they're in the house. I don't, it isn't like I, my spider senses are tingling or anything like that. Just know that they're, they're my wife's in the house. Now hear this. There are times when you're at church and you just go with the simple fact you just know the Lord's there. Intellectually, I know he's there. And there are other times where he so manifests, you're like, you'd have to be really in a coma not to know the Lord was here today. Now, Some days it's like those who, by faith, we just trust the Lord. We just know whether we feel him or not, we know he's there. We know because he lives inside of us as his Holy Spirit. Jesus promises whenever two or more are gathered in his name, there he is in our midst. The Father dwells upon the praises of his people. We, the whole trinity is in this building, even though the heaven of heavens can't contain him. But that doesn't mean God chooses to rip the ceiling off. That would be a little bit troublesome since we're actually renting the building and that would get us in some trouble with a lot of people, I'm sure. But what would it be like if you actually knew a moment when the Lord was going to show up. Let me think about what that would be like. I'm not just talking about, all right, you know, we just, I just expect the Lord to do something. Some, you know, sometimes you come in and it's like the same song is being sung. It's not even sung in a different way. And you're just kind of like, yeah, that was cool. I'm singing along in there. Other times you're singing, you're like faces on the floor. You're crying all over your shoes. Uh, not me. I'm just, I've heard stories, you know. And, you know, and, and, and it's like, what, what changed? And somehow when it was just like, I, I guess I did. I came in different. But imagine this is Aaron's first day on the job. Think about it. It's your first day on the job. And Moses is saying to you, the boss is going to show up today. The owner is coming in. How would you feel? You'd be like, I hope I... It's like all of a sudden those chapters, everyone reads through so quickly. Aaron's really thumbing through those first seven chapters pretty seriously. But understand, God wasn't there looking to nail him because he didn't do something right. What he really wanted to do was bless him because he did something. Sorry, he didn't want to nail him because he did something wrong. He wanted to bless him because he did something right. So what would it be like if you're like, well, I really want the Lord's glory. I want to see the Lord's glory in my life. Well, believe it or not, it's right here in front of us. It's a beautiful, very simple, practical chapter in Leviticus 9 on what our life would look like if we were going to actually see God's glory manifest. So look at it with me. First of all, notice that there's this little meeting at the beginning. Came to pass on the eighth day. Why the eighth day? Because seven days, Moses, I'm sorry, Aaron had to be with his sons in the uh, the tent. And now it's the eighth day. So notice we didn't wait. He didn't get a day off unless those seven days were off. And I wonder what it would be like just seven days hanging out with God. Was it like the Garden of Eden there for him? Just walking with the Lord in the cool of the day. But notice, notice that Moses didn't call everyone. It says in verse 1 that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders. Do you notice it didn't call the whole congregation? He just called the leaders. It's time to talk to you guys. And he said, this is Moses, and he said to Aaron, look it, you've got a particular sacrifice to make for yourself, and then you've got a particular sacrifice to make for the people. The sacrifice that you're going to make is twofold. And verse 2, he tells us that the two things he's going to offer are a sin offering and a burnt offering. Do you see that? In verses 3 and 4, he tells us then the four offerings, although there will be five, four things that he wants to make sure that he does for the people. Sin, burnt, peace, and grain. Do you see that? And then he says, for today the Lord will appear to you. In other words, he says, you should do this because God's coming. God's going to appear And again, I remind you, the word means to be seen. It doesn't mean that he's actually going to show up. There's a difference. Now, with that in mind, can I just kind of lay this out for you? Because obviously a lot of it will be that he actually does it right. When we actually see how he does it, he does it the way that was prescribed. That's kind of the part of the fun. Is that the the offerings that he was bringing were in order for a good reason. The first of the two that he was going to bring was the sin offering. Do you see that? That's again for himself. And can I say, please understand, if you're going to be the priest God calls you to be, first you're going to have to deal with yourself before you're going to start dealing with others. Because God wants you in a state of overflow, but to get you in a state of overflow, there's some things that need to be dealt with. And there were two things, according to this, that need to happen. The first of those two things, notice, was a sin sacrifice. Now that's quite simple. You are recognizing that you still need to lay your sin before God. Though Christ has forgiven all of our sins, then you might ask, well, then why do I need to confess? Because you need to hear that you still sin because it helps you to realize how gross it is you know sometimes just saying it sounds awful you ever do that like you confess and you're like oh that sounded a lot worse than i thought in my head yeah god wants that he wants us to hate our sin not just the consequences he wants us to hate our sin so that if we were to remove it we'd be thankful not fighting him for it No, so with that, the first thing I do, and here it is, so Aaron's got to, in front of, and what we'll find is all the people are going to show up for this. He lays his hands on this animal, he confesses his sins, and then he's got to kill this animal. Now, if you're the kind that doesn't like the idea of killing an animal, well, can I just say, you're not supposed to. It isn't like you got a jolly out of slaughtering an animal here. You killed an animal, and that's a horrible thing. The animal, this innocent animal, you're killing, and his blood is on your feet, is on your hands, because of your sin. And the idea of it is, this is horrible. I wish I didn't do that. Could you imagine if we said that when we sinned? I really, I mean, not just, God, sorry. Okay, I'll try not to do it next time. Because you know how blessed God is by that. But look, God, this is, this is really, this is death. This is murder. This is killing. This is bloodshed. So we deal with our sin. But then we go to a burnt offering. And the burn offering now is a complete surrender. What makes that offering unique is that the entire animal is killed. And well, not, you didn't just kill it, but then you, the entire animal is burnt. You didn't get any of it. You weren't making, using the leather for shoes. You weren't making steaks out of some of the meat. The whole animal got burnt. It was a total surrender. And can I say, listen to that. Because I think that's really what happens in our walks with Christ if we really are careful. See, the first thing we deal with is our sin, and that's where Jesus becomes our Savior, right? What he saved us from was the penalty of our sins. But for some, it's the only sacrifice we'll ever know. May that never be said of anyone here. Where it's like, you know what, I'm just cool with Jesus being my Savior, because when he's your Savior, he was like the cool lifeguard that jumped in and saved you from drowning. And then crazy enough, then somehow we get the crazy idea from this point on, now he's supposed to go and make us breakfast. Could you imagine? Thanks for saving my life. Now, will you please go and make me breakfast and buy me a car and give me this and give me that and give me a mate or I'll be alone. Could you imagine? But we treat God that way. Have you thought about that? But then the second thing in regards to a burnt sacrifice was the idea of total surrender. And that's where Jesus becomes Lord. Because in total surrender, I'm not giving God some of me. I'm not saying, you know what would be really cool is if I gave you my hands for a couple hours today, my mind for a little bit, but my talent, you get it sometimes, or my values sometimes, or my view of success, maybe when I want to, or my romance life, now that you can have when I'm done picking out my mate. Really? That's not a burnt sacrifice. I mean, could you imagine That's you jumping on the altar trying to pull parts off and trying to eat them while they're on fire? Now, if you're a man, we've done that at times. And it's never good. You come back with seared lips and you got all these blisters on your lips and they're like, what's that from? It was really good barbecue. That's what it was. (laughs) Because when you're around other guys, you know, someone's going to get that chicken leg if you don't. (laughs) By the third one, there's nothing left. And we usually put such kind of hot sauce on it. It cooks itself. And it's on the fire. So... I think I do that so that I, only, I get more chicken. Anyways, please hear me. That if we're going to be ready for ourselves, because this isn't just about me personally, but it's about us corporately as a body here, seeing God glorified. And what would be if the world saw Christ glorified in this church? What would that look like? Could you imagine how they would respond? Some would freak out, some wouldn't like it, and some would scratch their head and go, whatever that is, I want it. We go, it's not an answer who. So hear me. It starts with us personally. and going, all right, Lord, I don't want to just come and call you Lord, Lord, but have no concept what that means in my life. I want a burnt sacrifice in my life. I want my life to be a burnt sacrifice. But notice, before I do that, I need you to save me. Because I, I don't even have the strength to surrender to you well without you first forgiving me of the burden of my sin first. So that becomes my first thing. So individually, what if every one of us came here next week that way? Could you imagine? Before we got here, we said, all right, Lord, before I even walk in this building, I want you to deal with all of my sin. And then I want you to have me completely. Then you'd say, well, then why even go to church? Isn't that what church is for? No, it's actually not. This is supposed to be the place where you test out your gifts, your calling. Do you realize that? What God intended to happen here was that we would meet each other not to network so that we could get cooler business opportunities, but rather that as we fall in love with him and we find ourselves doing the Lord's will, we try it on each other. Because if there's anyone that should be, could you imagine anyone being more forgiving than your church family? Have you ever had anyone pray something and you just knew, ooh, I would never pray that? That's not even God's will. I'm sure that's not God's will. And there are times where it's like, that's not even the Bible. Man, that's just, you're like, I don't know where you got that from. A movie, I think. But you just like, Lord, bless them anyways because their heart's in the right place. Their mouth's all over the place, but their heart is in the right place. <laughs> now don't be afraid to pray with me. It's not like I'm doing that all the time. But there's a difference there because we should be able to just kind of go for it with each other. And can I just say, the Lord is always blessed with a go for it in your spirit. Because it's something, to be honest, the world doesn't have. And to be honest, this culture doesn't have at all. Our culture here is one where we would rather die than do something wrong or do something unwell or do something awkward. I think I will forever play the American card because we just run right into the awkward and ignore it and move right on. And I realize that's kind of refreshing under the circumstances. It's like enough about the weather. Let's talk about Jesus. It's quite warm today. Yeah, hotter in hell. Let's talk about Jesus, you know. (laughs) And so let's deal with ourselves first. It's easier to touch, especially if you come as a couple, or you come as a family, you start hearing something, you're thinking, oh man, I hope she's hearing that. Mm, I hope it. God's like, hello, hello. You got to kill your own animal. Could you imagine if a husband's just pushing an animal? Let me just, can you imagine and she starts laying her hands. she goes, hold on, before you do that, honey, let me confess some of your sins too on the animal. <laughs> Doesn't work so well. But that can happen. Can you imagine the animals just kind of looking up, what, you know? And God's going, oy vey. But what if we actually said, you know what, I'm going to come in here and just say, I want to be empty of any sinful ambition, and I really want Jesus to be my Lord. Can I just say this? And I'm going to, because I'm just going to go right for the throat. Homosexuality, drug abuse, sexual promiscuity. When you come and you let Jesus be the Lord of your life, You you don't tell God how you were born. You don't tell God you can't touch this. Because the bottom line is, it doesn't matter where you came from. We all need to be reinvented. We all need to be brand new people. And if we start telling God what our new invention should look like, we actually cease to let him be the architect. Does that make sense? And if we don't let him be the architect, he's not the Lord anymore of our life. Imagine it's like, yeah, yeah, you could be the Lord as long as I give you permission. That's like saying, you could be the boss as long as I give you permission. Think about that. But we all come in, and here's the cool thing. No matter where you come from, if you came from a homosexual lifestyle, if you came from a drug-abusive lifestyle, if you came from a sexual promiscuous in any type of lifestyle, you came from wherever, good news is, you're among other people like yourself. Because we are all people who need to be reborn. And by the grace of God, we have been. But to be reborn means we're new creations. Glory to God. So you can, you know, it's like, well, I just, you know, I want to start a group that's all about my particular sin. Why do you want to congregate around your gravestone? To you were. We're aware of that, right? So we start by dealing with ourselves. And it's like, you know, we can look around and say, hey, guess what? I'm a jerk Jesus saved. You can go, I'm a jerk Jesus saved too. Hey, we got everything in common. Well, let me tell you about my kind of jerkdom. No, nah, let's start with Jesus. Let's get back to Jesus because that's what we have in common. He goes, now we've got some sacrifices to make for the people. In regards to me, it's simple. I surrender my sin, and then I surrender myself. How's that? And now I start looking at this. It's the sin, it's the burnt, it's the peace, it's the grain. Oh, they've will switch the last two. Can I say this? I start by offering my sin, again, and myself. That's the challenge for every one of you. But how can I ask you to do that if I'm not doing it? And can I just say, You do realize I'm just another brother in the Lord, right? I'm not like super brother. Anything like that? I'm not like God. Well, I tell you this. I am God's favorite, but so are you. Okay. I mean, can I please hear me? I deal with sin like you do. And Paul said the same. He said, what sin do you guys deal with that I don't burn with? And the reason I say that is, Please don't elevate me to anything other than what you are, which is the human being that desperately needs Jesus for our every breath. And you know what? That's actually cool, because guess what happens? Instead of me being perfect and you becoming like me, we all grow more like Jesus. So I want to challenge you to the same thing, but I do want you to know, as Paul would, he would say, follow me as I follow Christ. I've learned this. You can't lead if you're not going anywhere, right? That's called being a commando. You sit on your couch and say, go get me something. That's not leading, Leading as I'm going, who's coming with me? And can I just say, I'm going to go chase after Jesus and I want to become more like him. Are you in? Because I want you to come with me. I would love as our family, that's what we want. That's what we're known for is hot pursuit. So we deal with the same thing first. Our sin, we offer our sin and we offer ourselves. That's the first two. Does that make sense? And then we go to this. If God's going to deal with the church, with the congregation, well, there's two more offerings that need to happen. And I find it interesting that this is where he puts it. The peace offering and the grain offering. For the peace offering, remember, there is the idea of a commitment to unity. Now, the unity is not going to be that we throw out imperative doctrines. I mean, that's like having a family reunion, but inviting people who really aren't part of your family. No, we just take everyone. You can just be whoever. Look at Can I just say, and you don't just believe me, search scripture... And not everybody on on the human planet right now is a child of God. What scripture says is we are born a child of wrath. But the moment we say yes to Jesus, we are adopted and thus become a child of God. So don't just say, well, I'm a child of God. Have you surrendered to Jesus? No. Well, then actually you're an orphan. I'm sorry. But you can become a child of God. Well, how dare you tell me that? Actually, dad told me that. He wrote it in a book. And I believe it. But among the church, he wants a peace offering. And what that means, remember, is that's where we are unified. You know where we're unified? Where we're all lousy, rotten jerks that have been saved. We deserve hell, but we've been given heaven. And that blows our minds so much. All we want to do is love each other. Does that make sense? If it becomes about other things, here's my pet doctrine you know we can all we can both be saved but i hate you because you don't believe you know you don't stand on my side really how can that be but i noticed the next thing after that was fruitfulness grain offering where we offer god then our overflow our increase but do you see how that works as a body we get unified and then god bears with great fruit because the last thing he wants is for us to bring is to start bearing fruit for it to go through the grinder God's not juicing here. And he wants fruit. By the way, it's like, what fruit would be would be new children, would be people's lives transformed, would be people that were addicts that have been set free, people that, were, that their life was owned upon them and laid upon them that are now they're actually walking a healthy life. And what just happened? God's bearing forth fruit. And he says, look it, the Lord's, the Lord's going to appear. He's going to show himself. So what if we dealt with that? Let's deal with ourselves. Let's deal with our sin. Let's just be honest. Can I say, well, can you say no one's awesome? I say, no, first of all, God is awful. Can I say, because God's not awesome. He's full of awe. We get to be awesome. We get some of that awe because the Lord lives inside of us and he starts manifesting. That's powerful. But no one's more awesome than another except for the surrender that we have to the Lord and how he shines. It's all him. That's like praising the chandelier for giving you light. It only gets to hold the light bulb. It's the light bulb that gives you light. Does that make sense? So listen. I deal with my sin. I deal with myself. Then it's like I challenge you. Deal with your sin. Deal with yourself. Let's be unified under Christ and let's watch God bear fruit because he's going to show up and he wants to manifest. -ah, Ra'ah. Ra'ah. So guess what? Verse 5 then. They... Brought what Moses commanded. Who's they? Aaron brings his stuff. The elders bring their stuff for the congregation. Says so they brought to Moses that, that was commanded before the tabernacle of meeting. And all the congregation drew near. Now and stood before the Lord. When the elders went and got their stuff, they went and got the people with it because they represented them. Now you ever wonder where'd they get all these animals? They were slaves. I remind you. But those slaves were set free back in Exodus 12. And apparently they took an awful lot of livestock with them. Egyptian livestock. That have, by the way, seemed to be quite fruitful en route. Though they're wandering around in the wilderness, it seems to me like he's taking care of those animals too. Because a lot of them now are being offered. So the congregation shows up too, and now everybody's there for Aaron's first day of work. And notice it says in verse 5, please don't miss this, And all the congregation, see, look at it with me, drew near and stood before, what? The Lord. Did you notice that? He said, God's going to appear, but they stood before the Lord before he appears. Did you get that? It's so awesome when you actually get to see these moments where you're like, wow, I just, Lord, I just want to tell you, if you even showed up right now, I would tell you this. And God's like, I'm there, you just don't see me. And I wonder if he actually manifested a moment like that, if we wouldn't just all faint, you know. Ironic as it is. We're like, Lord, I just want to, you know, I want to know you. I want to see your face. God says no one can see my face and live. So what you're saying is, I want to die now. I want to go and kill my life. And it's like, actually, yeah, okay. Because the person that dies needs to die. And I'm actually okay with that. So Moses then said to Aaron, all right, Aaron, let's get busy. Verse 7, go to the altar, offer your sin and your burnt offering, make atonement for yourself, for the people, offer the offering to the people and make atonement for them. That's what he does. Verses 8 through 11, he does the first offering, that's the sin offering. He killed it because it was for himself. And he dipped his finger in the blood. And if this sounds kind of just sick, it should be. But he put it on the horns of the altar. Now That's kind of an interesting thought. He's taking the blood of this animal and he's wiping it on the four corners of this place where this fire already is where this, because this fire is to be continually there. Now later on we'll see in the Psalms it says I'll take up the horn of salvation. Jeremiah speaks of this place too of consolation. I just think how interesting that is. See the, the whole idea of it was that a person that was guilty accidentally could run to the horn of one of, this, one of the corners of this altar and grab a hold of it and be safe. Like the name of the Lord that the righteous run to and are safe. And it's interesting because horns, by the way, in Daniel and Revelation speak of power. But this place of salvation was a place that if you didn't know that you had killed, if you had done it unknowingly, and you say, how does that happen? A misprescription from a pharmacist? It's a moment when you've left a friend and you didn't know how sick they really were. It's interesting. Jesus knew this. Because on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You ever wonder why he said that? Because of that statement, I could run to that horn and grab a hold of it in faith and receive salvation. I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, I thought I did. Jesus is like, out of grace, I'm going to tell him, tell him the Father he didn't really know what he was doing. So this place he starts covering him with blood because everything's about that. And by the way, the whole idea of it, no notice is, and that Aaron's job is to, hear me, as a priest, his job is to apply the blood. That's his job. And this is yours. Someone comes and they tell you about what they're struggling with. My job is how do I apply the blood? How do I take the blood of Jesus and apply it? my life is miserable, I'm desperate, I'm empty, I'm confused, I'm afraid, I'm whatever, I'm like, well, great. How about we apply the blood? Because I've learned once you apply the blood, everything changes. When you apply the blood to the horns, there's salvation. When you apply the blood to the ear and to the thumb and to the toe, when you apply apply the blood to the servant, they become consecrated for service. When you apply the blood to the people, they get set apart as God's own. When you apply the blood to the book, it becomes alive and a covenant, a living covenant. That's what happens when you apply the blood. And Aaron's job is to apply the blood because he's priest. And your job is to apply the blood because you're a priest, if you've accepted Christ. So with that, then he pours the blood at the base. His sons bring it. He burns it, the rest of it on the altar. The flesh and the hide he burns outside the camp. His second offering in 12 through 14, he takes the burn offering. One thing that's sort of interesting in all of that, that person who was washed now starts washing. It says in verse 14 that he washed these parts before he burned it. Don't you think that's a little strange? And then I think, well, wait a minute. Remember the whole idea of a burn offering is that you offer yourself to God in complete surrender. Like it says in Romans 12, one, where it says, in view of his mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto him. And I've heard it said that the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. That's why it says literally offering, keep offering yourself as a living sacrifice. But can I just say that when we offer our parts, we offer clean parts. And that's what Aaron shows us here. I don't want to offer God a dirty mind. That's why I went to the sin place first and then I went to the, to the burnt. Does that make sense? It's like, God, my mind's dirty. Can you wash it? Wait a minute, Pastor Tony, are you actually saying that we should be brainwashed? I'd say, yeah. Yeah, not by me. If you you don't have a filthy mind, then you can decide that yourself. I have had one. And so I'll say, praise God for the washing that he's done. And not just my, I need a heart wash, a brain wash, I need a life wash. There's no part of me that didn't need to be cleansed. So he washes those things. In Romans 6, it says in verse 13, not to present our members of our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present them to God as being alive from the dead and our members as instruments of righteousness to God. So after he does this, and he's done, now he's now made himself, he's done his two offerings. He offers for the people, the sin, the burnt, the grain, alongside with the burnt sacrifice of the morning, which says that the fire was there already, and the peace offering. And after he offers the offerings as was required for him, in verse 21, notice what it says. Then he actually went, And Aaron did a wave offering. If you remember that last week when we showed them the Mexican wave or whatever nationality you want to claim for that. And that's an act of worship. So understand after all of this happens, that's the next thing that happens. Because it's interesting because his hands are going up and down. That's what he's doing with this thing. His hands are going up and down. And notice, by the way, his hands are going up and down. Sooner or later, he's going to throw that thing down. And As he throws that thing down, verse 12 says, And then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, and he blessed them. So he's kind of going, Oh, Lord, I just love you. And Lord, I just... And it's like smoke signals. Have you ever seen that from Indians? You know, you're sort of throwing this big piece of meat, and it's blocking the smoke. You know, and then it's like letting it go, and it kind of comes up. And then you're doing this over and over. And then you finally kind of throw that piece off. And as you throw that piece off, you just kind of turn, and you just went... Bless you now! I mean, his hand who was already busy doing it. And what I love about that is one of the greatest ways to be a blessing is to start by worshiping your God. I mean, at the fire where it's hot, where things are being sacrificed. Well, I mean, and I'm talking about real surrender, not that selfish Christianity where it's like God, give me, give me, give me, but where it's like God, I want to give you, give you, give you. I give it all. I surrender it all. And now, God, I, I wanted. To, now, when I turn from that and that surrender, and I turn to you, it's a lot easier to bless you because I'm already giving. And what's so funny is how often we can go, God, I give you everything. And God goes, here's a person in need. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm too busy helping God. And Jesus nails the religious leaders on that. Do you remember? When it says, look, you guys break the covenants. You break the commandments by saying, well, that's dedicated to God, but you're not going to let anyone have it. Your mom doesn't have a couch in her house. She doesn't have a place to sleep. But you've got a bunch of beds and you say, oh, those are dedicated to the Lord. And what does that mean? That means they sit in your house covered in Plastic? God's like, hey, look at if they're dedicated to me, they're gonna touch someone's life, because I don't take dedicated things and not use them, because that's what I want with your life too. So when this is happening, the next thing should be blessing each other. Do you realize that this, these are the verses that led us to do what we do during our praise time? Do you realize that? Because during this time, what you saw was is Aaron was lifting his hands in praise as he was doing this wave offering, and then he turned and blessed the people. So what do we do? We lift our hands in praise, and I'm like, now go pray for each other. Go bless each other. And now you know where it comes from. Well, with that said, then, notice the next thing, and we're almost done now. Look at that. It says in verse 22, Aaron was the one worshiping, and as Aaron went and worshiped, he turned and he blessed the people. Verse 23, Moah's his younger brother, jumps in now and Moses and Aaron jump into the tabernacle and they turn around and guess what happens? They bless the people. It's interesting, by the way, that as they bless the people now, the whole congregation's there. This is when God shows up. He's there already, but now he appears. And listen to this. Please don't miss this. It says that the glory of the Lord, it's a word that speaks of splendor, appeared to all people. Did you notice it didn't just appear to the tall ones or the cute ones or the young ones or the new generation that was really worshipping or anything like that. It says it appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about how totally cool this is, <laughs> but here's God, and somehow he manifests the glory of the Lord. Something's happening. We'll assume it's something that involves light. God's being very, very bright, but notice it says fire came from before the Lord. So God's sort of, sort of, however it is, whether he descends or whether he just kind of collects this light or whatever it is, but somehow all of a sudden you see God, and then God goes, whew! or whatever, and it's like fire goes, voila, and just takes that whole sacrifice, and boom, it just takes that whole sacrifice, and takes it, and we all go, and what do we do? We go, ah, and we fall on our faces. But please hear me in this. God's glory appeared on the sacrifice, and I believe that's one of the reasons we don't often see the glory of God like we should, is there's no sacrifice for God to show up on. The only sacrifice we really like is Jesus' sacrifice that saved us. But then when we read about that whole taking up our own cross thing, we somehow try to pretend like that's Old Testament, which should still apply anyways, but you get the idea here. It's like, oh yeah, well, that was back in the disciple days. Well, what are you? You're supposed to be a disciple too, fool. What are you thinking? Like Jesus is like, pick up and take up your cross. Unless you're like 21st century people, then you could just be entitled like everyone else thinks they are. he says, you know, if we're really going to be the people God calls us to, we're going to really need to worship the way God calls us to. He's got to be the one who writes the book because he's the one who's going to judge it at the end. Listen, the first time that the word worship is mentioned in the English language in a a translation like King James or New King James is going to be in Genesis 22, and probably you're familiar with that because it's also the place where God introduces the word love, where he talks about Abraham going to offer his son, the first time God mentions love was not Adam to Eve or Eve to Adam. It was not actually even, I mean, all these things that we could think of that were so romantic. Actually, the first time was a father offering his son in obedience. Extreme obedience. We'll grant you that. But understand, the first time he says we're going to go, the worship. The term worship is when he's there with his son. He's going to go kill him on a mountain, or so he thinks. Now, for, before you get too crazy on that, please hear me. That every Middle Eastern country at the time believed... That there was a God of pleasure and the way that you pleased the God of pleasure is you offered your firstborn son. See, the beautiful part about what God does through chapter 22 is he shows that God is the God of pleasure without you having to pay him for it. It's just a different kind of pleasure than the world's been painting. So hear me. He turns then to the servant and he says, no, stay here. The lad and I are going to go worship. It's the first time we ever hear the word. It's very interesting. So all of a sudden, what happens, and please hear me in this, because I love this. This is how bright the sun is. The sun's carrying the wood, much like Jesus, of course, would carry the part of the cross as he, he does, the, the petibulum as he carries it up the hill. And his son is carrying the wood, and his dad's there, and can you imagine how torn dad is? I mean, he's got a knife that he knows he's about to use on his son, or he thinks he is. And he looks, and the son asks the most beautiful question. Please, please hear me with your heart. He says, dad, we got, I mean, you just said we're going to go worship, right? And he says, yeah, 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 we're going to go worship. Okay, well, something's missing. You see, we've got the fire. We've got the wood. But we don't have the sacrifice. That's what we're missing. We're missing the sacrifice. I don't know how it can be worship without the sacrifice. That's what we're missing. And imagine dad's, you know, would if he was to be completely honest, he would be like, if he were Greek, he would say, well, you're the sacrifice. That's the problem, son. Um, but he's like, don't worry. God will provide himself to be that sacrifice. And true it is that Jesus is our sacrifice. That's the reason we worship in the first place. But could that be said of us? Hey, we've got the wood. We've got all that we need to start a good fire here we've got a great pa or whatever we've got a piano that actually stays here praise the lord because it would be difficult to get on a bus uh, you know i mean we got and we've got we got we've got beautiful gifted singers and all kinds of things that are here and we've got people that are ready so we've got that and we've got the fire man when the thing gets good cooking man people are in it they're jumping in it but is there any sacrifice because until then you know what it is it's a barbecue that's what it is until there's a sacrifice it's actually just a bonfire are we making bonfires or are we really worshiping here? Because it's something that Isaac understood. I think we need to too. But this chapter, God shows up in a glorified way. And the way he does it is, is that there was a sacrifice and that sacrifice was enough for God to say. See, what God said at the end by showing up the way he did is, is that your sacrifice is accepted to me. That's what he's saying. Not you're accepted to me. You are already accepted because you're his. You don't have to prove yourself. You're already his question is whether the sacrifice is accepted. So here's my prayer as we go to prayer now. Is that we would actually come in with a heart to sacrifice. Now what would that look like? Would that look like everyone's just going to go and take all the money they have and dump it in the tithe box? Hey, look, it, you know this. We'll never pass a hat here because we only want people to give as God leads them. I would much rather you give to each other. I'd much rather you give time and energy and effort i tell you, there, people's lives were changed last night because of a chicken dish. Mm-hmm. From a woman that didn't even come because she just sent it on someone else. But i tell you what, there, there were people who could have got saved from that chicken dish last night. I mean, it was, like, it was like gospel chicken. And they're like, who made this? Who made this? So, Let me tell you about the sister who made this. And of course, there you go with that testimony. I, I used your testimony because it was the perfect time for it. Here's the point. And I'm just picking, I'm, I don't even say who that is because I don't want to embarrass this to Ange. <laughs> Do you have any idea what a little thing like that does to people? It's, it's making a gingerbread house for a little girl that changes her day and her parents' day for it as a result. It's taking a long walk with someone just because they need a little breather because they feel like the world's on top of them. Have you any idea what that does to people? It's giving someone a ride with some stuff because you have the time and that's what you do. It's scooping up used bread. Well, not used bread. That's really gross. Um, <laughs> bread that hasn't been used <laughs> at the end of a day to bring to church because that's what you do. Any idea what that does? It's giving someone a hug and not just she's cute, I'm giving her a hug, that's selfless. (laughs) You know what's so funny is when you actually are in love with the Lord, even sacrifice doesn't feel like sacrifice anymore. And you're throwing it all on the altar and God says, now take that part off and eat it. And you're like, really? Awesome. You see how that works? In God's economy, two people can both give and get more out of it. How does that work? It's only God's economy that that works. As we go to prayer, what if we came in that way? Said, all right, God, I want to worship you, and that means sacrifice. I recognize that. And sacrifice means you give up something. Isn't that what sacrifice means? Give up time, you give up energy, you give up resources. Hey, you know what? Loving people will cost you money. Have you learned that yet? If you haven't, you're probably still single. Okay, listen. Did I just say that out loud? (laughs) Pray with me, beloved. Can I say, listen, I should better do this. No sacrifice was ever given greater than father giving his own son. And he did that so that all of your sins could be paid for. Because he so loves you he wasn't going to spend he he wouldn't spend eternity in your guilty state so out of love for you you sinned against him and he paid your bill figure that out that's love and jesus died on a cross just like scripture promised was buried and just like scripture promised he rose again and as he rose again he offers you a brand new life Not just a redecorating, not just a relocating, a reinvention. Have you said yes to this gift of Jesus? Because he really wants today to reinvent you. And then if you have said yes, welcome to the construction site. It's a dangerous place, isn't it? Yeah. But it's a beautiful place because it's full of hope. By the way, have you learned God isn't going to show you the blueprints often? He'll give it to you in a beautiful book if you're willing to read it. But a lot of the things that are personally designed for you, bespoke for your life, you're going to just have to wait while he builds. It keeps you current with the builder. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, as we prepare now for a time of communion on this beautiful Sunday morning, the 1st of December, where did this year go? I feel like I'm just barely out of summer. And it's a time now where people are getting ready for Christmas. It's a time where there's a genuine consideration for this whole religious thing. of What it really kind of means to, to have God manifest. And yet, Lord, here we are in a state where we would love to see your glory, but well, I'll be honest, it doesn't often come with the attitude that what we really want is for you to accept our sacrifice. We just kind of want for you to, to make us look cool. But to not, not today. Your word has gotten a hold of us. At least it's certainly got a hold of me. And I just, I just I want my life to be known, Lord, for the fact that, that no human being is, is too invaluable for the greatest expense. And Lord, make us people who show other people that they're valuable. Because Lord, if we don't, no one's going to. And nobody did more than you did. You died on a cross to redeem us and rose again to give us new life. So I pray for every believer in this room, myself included. Lord God, make us people who make other people know how important they are. Because quick to sacrifice. Change our value systems, oh Lord, that that people would be important, not stuff. And having said that, if there's anyone in this room that has not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, you have a choice to make. Maybe you're not sure, well, you can walk out of here, sure. And if that's you today, and you'd like to accept the gift of Jesus, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I ask you to listen. And if you agree at the end, I simply ask for you to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree, let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I'll be honest. I'm a sinner. You know what? I know it. And that sin separates me from you. And even though I've sinned against you, you paid my price. You sent Jesus to die on the cross. And as he died at the cross, he died there for my sins, to punish my guilt. And it was paid for there in full. And then, just like your scripture promised, three days later, he rose from the dead. And in raising from the dead, you give me new life. So I accept that gift. And just like the sin offering now, I just say, Lord, take my sins and commit them to the cross where they belong and let the penalty of them die there. But Lord, it wasn't just... The sacrifice of the sin, but also that of the burnt offering. And so I recognize, Jesus, it's one thing to call you Savior, and it's an entirely different thing to call you Lord. But you've never said, if I confess that you're Savior, I'll be saved. You said, if I confess that you're Lord. So I want to surrender myself to you. I know that I'll probably fight you in the future, but remind me of this prayer. And remind me that there's nothing I could possibly ever fight you for where I would benefit for that. So have me, Lord, and I know you want me. And thank you for that. Have me and make me yours. I want to be your child now. I want to be your love now, engulfed in you. So have me, I'm yours. In Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say amen.